living in the West has its advantages, seclusion, privacy, and freedom. But if we aren't careful, those benefits can also become negatives, weapons wielded by our enemy to keep us in the dark spiritually and comfortable with our sin. In the kingdom of God, independence and self-reliance come into conflict with relying on God and being a part of the community. As we live in that Western pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps independence, we grow accustomed to making it on our own. As we live our lives each day, it is easy to become so preoccupied with the major sins of our society that we lose sight of our need to deal with our own more subtle sins. Our Western way of life is a great gift, but unless kept in check, it can become a weapon in the hand of the enemy against our spiritual life. A weapon that can lead us down a road of acceptability or respectability of our sins. May we remember that sin grieves the heart of God and lean on Him instead of ourselves as we journey through life. Being aware of our sin, repenting of it, and living for Jesus and not ourselves as we live life in the West. So I did something last weekend that I haven't done in a really, really, really long time. In fact, I was surprised that it even was still on my phone. I opened the Pizza Hut app and I used it. Now, those of the, you that are laughing know the Pizza Hut story. Years and years ago, it, it, at least five years ago, I was trying to order something. You know, I'd seen a commercial. It's like, I want that. Um, I want that Pizza Hut pizza. And there's this special deal. I open the app. I try to order. I try to order. I try to order. It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. I'm getting frustrated. Why does the Pizza Hut app not work? Uh, seriously, I, you may think, you may just laugh and think you, were, you just lost your ever-living mind, and in those moments when that happens, I do. I lose my ever-living mind. I expect it to work. It's so easy, right? So I'll just call them. I'll just call them and let them know what I want to order, and that'll be fine. And you know what they have the gall to tell me? Um, that special is only available through the app. Not one of my finest moments. I said some things. I mean, I didn't, I didn't swear or anything, but I wasn't making friends at Pizza Hut. And, and if they knew me, I was not um, presenting uh, the lifestyle of a Christian very well either. I mean, I deserve to get this special deal with this pizza, right? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you deserve something? Well, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And the word that we're using this morning is the word entitlement. Now, this is week two of our series, The Seven Respectable Sins of the West, a series focusing on sin, a series that you knew, many of you, coming back today, we were going to continue to talk about sin, and, and I want to thank you for being honest enough to say, yeah, you know what, this isn't a series I'm just going to skip. Um, I'm going to submit myself to the hard teaching that, that we are uh, experiencing this. It's, um, this is a series that, that highlights, among other things, our need to struggle with, with sin. Uh, we get comfortable with, with sin in our life, and it's not a good thing. 
Uh, Our enemy wants us to be complacent and unworried about the sin that's in our life. It is important that we ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and, and show us if there be any wicked way in us, any of them. White lies, sin. It's sin that grieves the heart of God. Not telling the truth, not telling the whole truth. Anger, impatience, yes, all sins that grieve the heart of God. And if if you're going through the book, Respectable Sins, uh, in that, I think it's the second chapter, Ralph Venning, the author of a book entitled The Sinfulness of Sin, which you would think, of course, you would know that sin is sinful, right? But, But do we, really? Um, He says that sin is a diabolical force within us. Sin is vile, ugly, odious, malignant, pestilent, pernicious, hideous, spiteful, poisonous, virulent, villainous, abominable, and deadly. Not words that we typically think of when we sin. Uh, We just don't think it's that bad. Um, And those words don't just describe the scandalous sins of our society like abortion or adultery. Uh, They also refer to respectable sins like impatience and pride and frustration and self-pity and entitlement. Uh, In this series, we're challenging ourselves to identify sin in our lives and to repent of it. Now, one of the original seven deadly sins, not sins that kill us physically, but but that kill our relationship with God and our intimacy with Jesus Christ, uh, was pride, one of the original seven deadly sins. Entitlement is a more focused version of that sin. Entitlement really overlaps with a lot of things. Honestly, uh, comfort bleeds into entitlement. It's the things that we feel that we are owed. It's the things that we feel that we deserve. Now, what, what kind of things come to your mind that fit in there? What, what kind of things do we feel like we're entitled to? Let me just hear a few things, and you'll have to speak up because you know I'm hard of hearing. Money. money. Yeah, we feel like we're entitled to money. Um, I mean, we need it, right? And, and I did the job, so I'm entitled to that. What else? Respect. Respect. Absolutely. Um, you... How dare you treat me like that? I mean, I deserve your respect. What else? Freedom. Freedom, absolutely. Why? I mean, this is the land of the the free and the brave, right? I mean, I deserve that freedom. What else? Playing time. Playing time. Yes, I deserve that. I'm at practice every day. The coach should put me in. What else? Love. Huh? Love. Love. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm patient with other people, and I love other people. Um, Some other things. Health, time, food, safety, salvation. I mean, I deserve it, right? We feel entitled to parking spaces and jobs. We feel entitled that when we show up to church, the coffee's going to be ready, and it's going to be hot. We feel entitled to singing the songs that we like on a Sunday morning. We feel entitled to our car working, our child making the team. We feel entitled to them getting playing time. We feel entitled to a certain size of house or style of vehicle or kind of degree. I mean, it's owed to me, right? Now, people in the older generations, and I'm sort of pointing to myself, but not really. I'm pointing to generations older than me love to point to younger generations and say that those young whippersnappers are so entitled. 
They're just so entitled. And, and while that may be true, albeit an overgeneralization of an entitled generation, in saying or thinking that, you tend to puff out your chest as if you are not. But there are all kinds of expectations that, that we have set in this life that we feel are, in, that we, feel we are entitled to. That's true for every single one of us. There are entitlements that we carry with us that we don't even see, that we don't even realize. I heard this from another pastor, and I think he's dead on. Here is a surefire way for, for the rest of your life to know if you're entitled, to know if you feel entitled. Okay, this is how you can know. What do you complain about? What do you complain about? Whatever you complain about, that's what you feel entitled to, that other thing. Whatever it is that you're not getting, the more you complain, the more entitled you are. The things go hand in hand. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but, but there are some things that we should complain about, right? Well, we can always justify ourselves. When we complain about something, we can always justify that complaint. And I'm, I'm just telling you, our complaints will point to what we feel entitled to. Now, last week we talked about busyness and we talked about Jesus' interaction with, with Mary and Martha and we, we, we talked about the importance of putting the big things in our life first, that, that, that we make sure that we are committed to the big things, the priorities. What are our priorities? A relationship with Jesus Christ has to be priority number one and that if we can get the, the main things if we can be committed to those, sold out to those things, that a lot of those other things that we have in our life, that they will fit, or, or that we will recognize that, you know, that meeting can happen without me. Yeah, it's a quarterly one. I had to make a decision Saturday morning. I had a funeral at 11. The meeting was at 8. Can I squeeze that in? Yeah. You know, three, four days before, I was like, yeah, I can make it. The night before, I'm thinking, Honestly, I just really feel like I'm shortchanging the family if I try to squeeze that in. That was a pebble that I, I just said, you know what? It's not priority. I can let it go. Did the meeting happen? Yes. Did they make some decisions? They did. I know what they are. That's fine. I wasn't there. We need to have those priorities set in our life. Well, today we're talking about this idea of entitlement because I think Entitlement is so much the air that we breathe. I mean, we swim in it every day so that we don't recognize ourselves personally those moments in time when we feel entitled. Easy to point the finger. Oh, you're, those kids, they're just entitled to this. They think they're entitled to that. They, they think, yeah, what are those things that I feel like I am entitled to? The scriptures uh, we're in today you know, we tend to maybe skim over them because we think that the goal is too lofty, that, that it's, it's asking too much. So I really don't need to take it seriously, but we do. We shouldn't ignore them. So let's, let's get into it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. And, and I think we're so used to living this entitled life that we just simply make excuses and we justify our attitudes, we just accept them, even maybe think that they're respectable. And my fear is that we're settling for a counterfeit Christianity. And we just, I just don't want us to do that. So as we move through this passage, we're going to look at what entitlement is, 
what entitlement leads to and, and how can we change it? How, how can, where, where do we go? How does that apply to us? In verse 1, Jesus, Jesus goes to a prominent Pharisee's house. They, they must have invited him over. Now, they didn't invite him over because they really wanted to show him hospitality. They invited him over because they wanted to test him. Verse 1, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. So the way that they tested him uh, was to present him a need on the Sabbath day. Now, their Sabbath was a Saturday, so, so it's a Saturday, and you are not to do any work on a Saturday. So they bring this man... This man just so happened to be there, right, on a Saturday, and he had a great need. Uh, he has dropsy or edema, meaning his body is storing fluid, and they are essentially tempting Jesus to heal this man. This is a merciless act. They're using this man. They, they don't care about whether he's healed or not. They're after Jesus. It's selfish, it lacks compassion, and it's targeting Jesus. And of course, Jesus, being filled with compassion for this man, does what Jesus does. Verse 3, first Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He knows what they're, what they're doing. Well, they don't answer. They remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he heals him, and he sends him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? They had nothing to say. I mean, Jesus is saying, wouldn't you care for the things that you care about? Wouldn't you tackle this problem if it was something that you had created? And then, and then it immediately goes into this scene where people are jockeying for the best position at the table. I mean, in that day, it's still kind of that way today. You know, some events like a wedding you go to, you know, right, there's this big table where all the important people, the honored guests, well, they're not guests, the honored people sit, right? And, and I mean, that's a, I think that's kind of different. Um, but, but maybe, you know, we have this set of chairs in our house. Two of the chairs have arms on them, right? Where do those chairs go? They go on the ends of the table, right? Because that's where the important people sit. That's where dad sits. I mean, that's how I was raised. Dad not only sits there, but he gets the chair with the arms. Now, one of our arms is falling off. It's not a great chair to be in, but... Um, <clears throat> if you could work your way next to the person that's sitting at the head of the table, you were in, a, you were in an honored position. And, and that's what Jesus is tackling here. That's what Jesus is tackling here. <clears throat> so people would get there early. They would set their Bible on the chair. Or maybe, you know, maybe you go to the seat next to the table of honor and you pick up the spoon and you stick it in your mouth. Yep, my, it's my seat. You don't want this one. 
I licked the spoon. This is my seat. I get to sit in the honored place. So Jesus tells this story when he notices this happening in verse 7. The guests are picking the places of honor. Verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, Jesus says, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, I want to move you to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalted themselves will be humble, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. I mean, that's in the Bible? What, uh, how should that change the way we live? Answer this question. As a Christian, is it ever okay to want the best seat in the house? Can we ever go to, to a concert? Newsboys comes to mind because I really liked the Newsboys. And, and, you know, I don't know, camp out at night, run in, you know, throw coats on the front row for all of our friends so that we can sit in the best seats of the house. Is it okay for us to do that as a Christian? I want the best place that I can. If Jesus was standing right here, right this morning, and he told us this parable, how would we answer that? How would that change our lives? How is this text to speak into our lives? Jesus said it. The Holy Spirit preserved it for a couple thousand years, and we're here this morning to read it. And, and in hearing it, our hope, my hope would be that it penetrates our heart and that it changes us. What does God want to change about you this morning? In this text, for you this morning, what is God doing? Should we ever take the best spot? Well, maybe so that we can give it to somebody else, so that we can show someone else that place. So first of all, let's define entitlement. Entitlement is Focusing on what you deserve. Focusing on what you deserve. When we focus on what we deserve, we live in this hyper-awareness of our rights. These guys felt like they deserved the place to sit in the place of honor, like it was their right. We talk a lot about rights that we are owed. It's my right. As Christians, we are to use whatever our sovereign God has entrusted us to serve others. That's basic Christianity. Living out our faith, you've trusted in Jesus, his Holy Spirit has moved in you, he's gifted you, he's changing you, and what he wants you to use those gifts that he's given you for is to benefit the community, to, to benefit everybody else, not yourself. How can I use those things God has given me to serve others. Philippians 2.3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. I'm sure you've read that a hundred times, right? Couple key important words in there. Nothing. Do nothing. Does he really mean nothing though? Because that, that, I mean, that's pretty high bar. 
I mean, we're so far from do nothing out of selfish ambition, aren't we, in our world today? We don't even realize how far away we are because we are respectably comfortable wanting things for myself. Or, or maybe, or maybe we're, we're just doing enough to, so that we feel that we're okay, that we feel that we're good, right? I mean, bare minimum. And, and I'm with you when I say we spend our lives trying to put others or to put ourselves in places of honor. Um, you might be thinking, I, I don't know if I really do that. No, you do. You, you do. It's why you dress the way you dress. It's, it's why you drive what you drive. It's, it's why you live where you live. It's the letters behind your name or on your business card. It's the title you put at the bottom of your signature on your emails. Anything that we can find in, in order for other people to show us that we deserve their honor, we, we do it. We do it all the time. It, have you ever been on a bus and observed someone offer their seat to someone else? You know, you're on a packed bus, or maybe you're on, the, you're on the subway at DIA, and you know how shaky the subway is at DIA, and it's just packed, and you tried to get to the front of the line so you could get to the end and sit by the windows, but you, you, know, you couldn't quite. So there you are standing, and you, you notice out of the corner of your eye, uh, maybe even an elderly gentleman sitting on on the thing, and there's a, a lady standing in front of him, and he says, hey, he gets up and says, hey, no, you, you go ahead and take this seat. See, there's, there's sacrifice in that. It, it makes the person who had the good spot uncomfortable. And, and unfortunately, as we deal with entitlement in our lives, there's no comfortable way to do it. It's uncomfortable. We, we have to do things that are uncomfortable as it pertains to entitlement if we want to get through it. You see, there's going to be discomfort as we seek to kill entitlement in our lives. Think back to all the things that you think you deserve. And, and honestly, don't tell me there aren't any, that you, you couldn't think of anything. Because we all can. I mean, we're really far from where we need to be, aren't we? really far. Not just a little bit off. It's the air we breathe. It impacts everything that we do. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Whoever wants to humble themselves will be exalted. Whoever wants to exalt themselves will be humbled. First Peter 5.5, 5, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This theme is repeated throughout the Bible. Sometimes people say, well, I just, I just feel like God's not for me. I, I, I feel like um, he's not with me. He's not helping me. You know, it seems like God is against me. Well, first of all, that's not true. God is for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Forsook heaven, gave that up, came down here, lived, confined to a human body, was crucified on our behalf, took on the sin of the world. You can't tell me that God is not for you because he did that for you. He did that 
for me. And then in the midst of that reality that God has given us everything through Jesus Christ, which he has, there may be some pride and entitlement welling up in that it has placed you in a position that is in opposition to God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, 1 Peter 5, 6. Entitlement is focusing on what we deserve. Now, next, entitlement leads to disappointment. How does entitlement lead to disappointment? Entitled people rarely feel anything goes their way. So, so there is a lot to complain about all the time, and, and you just sit and you soak in that disappointment. I mean, it's true. It, it always causes disappointment. Every disappointment you've ever experienced comes from your expectations, and entitlement is the most dangerous form of expectation. So an expectation says, I expect this to happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And there's usually disappointment involved in that. Entitlement says, I deserve for that thing to happen. I deserve for that thing to happen. This is what I deserve. I deserve a promotion. I deserve a marriage. I deserve healthy children. And it's not just a missed expectation then. It's an injustice. For they expected to sit near the host, and now they have to sit in the back. And they feel entitled to a better spot, and they feel slighted. Entitled people are perpetually frustrated. They're not thankful, and here is why. You cannot be thankful for what you feel entitled to. You cannot be thankful for what you feel entitled to. So entitled people are some of the least grateful people that you will ever meet. So, a couple questions. Have you thanked God for a roof or a bed to sleep in lately? I haven't. Sometimes my paycheck hits the bank and I don't even thank God for his provision for me. Because I think that I deserve that. I'm owed that. I mean, I put in the work, right? Well, where did the job come from? God gave it to you. Where did the decision to, to you know, how much to, to pay you for said job? God did. See, we, in, in our culture, in our West, and I, I was having somebody, a conversation with somebody this morning before church, and she said, you know, that's, that's the West as in our culture as a whole, not, not the East, not, not in our country, not like the Middle East, but the West. Yeah, it applies really to the whole world. My shelves have food. I would assume for several months. I don't know. I don't keep track. I just put more in and more in and take some out. Right? I mean, when I go there, I, I feel like I deserve to have a jar of salsa on the Lazy Susan, right? That just happened yesterday. Wait, we don't have a, another jar of salsa in the house? So what did I do? I went to Ty's Pit Stop and I got another jar of salsa because I deserved to have salsa with my chips yesterday while I watched a football game. <laughs> have, have I ever thanked God for his provision? Honestly, I mean honestly. 
Maybe a little bit. Maybe around Thanksgiving. Why? Because deceivingly, I think that, that, that we provide the things that we have. But that's not the right attitude to have. Can, can you imagine trying to describe our lives to someone in an indigenous tribe where, I mean, which still exists today. There are still people groups that are out in, they have no running water, they have no nothing, no electricity. Um, I mean, they've never had it. Let's, let's just say we stumble across someone like that. And, and you're, you're, you're sitting around the campfire and they, they pull out this, uh, this jar of water that they walked miles to a spring to gather and bring and they're, they're maybe making you some tea or something. And, and you start having this conversation. Let's just say they, they talk the same language as you. Probably wouldn't happen, but let's just say that they do. Can you imagine the conversation going something like this? Well, you know, you, you thank them for the, the tea and the water, and, and they are trying to strike up a conversation too. And they say, well, how do you get fall? How, how do you get water? How far do you have to walk to get your water? And you say, well, from the bedroom to the kitchen. Or, or sometimes I might go to the bathroom, you know, to get, to get a drink of water if there's a glass in there. Um, and they say, water just comes in? just comes into your house? Yeah, yeah, we have sinks and stuff, faucets. Yeah, hot water. So how does the water get hot? Well, we have this, we have this, this, uh, this fire. They, they say, do you have a fire in your house? Yeah, we have a fire in our house, but, but actually we don't really use it. It's just for looks. Um, we don't actually use the fire to, to heat the house or anything. For the water, we have a, a water heater. Oh, and so does the water heater keep you warm when it's cold outside? Well, no, um, that's a different thing. The, the water heater only keeps the water hot. We have this little box on the wall. It's called a thermostat. And, and you know, if we want it to be hot or cold, we turn that up and down, and that, and that, uh, that uh, takes care of the, the heat in the house. Um, so, so you keep your food cold with the thermostat? no. No, we, we have another box for that. Um, it's called a refrigerator because it would be too cold in the house if we kept it the, the right temperature to keep our food from spoiling. No, we have another box. So we, we put our food in there. Well, would you keep your horses warm with a thermostat? Well, no. I mean, we, I don't really do horses. Um, you know, a donkey? No, no, not a donkey. Um, I mean, people sometimes use those things to get around, but we usually use cars. Well, what's a car? Well, it takes us places. So where do you keep your car? Well, we keep it in a garage. What's a garage? It's a house for my car. Right? I mean, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy. We have... So much to be thankful for. The reason we're not thankful is because we have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, our abundance kills gratefulness. Now, you don't need to, I, you don't need to feel bad about having a lot. That's not the point. God blesses us. God gives us good gifts. He blesses some people immensely. That's not the point. The point is, are we grateful for the things that he has blessed us with, that he has given us? Because you see, 
What if God removed everything from our lives that we aren't grateful for? That comes across every Thanksgiving. What if today the only things you had were the things that you thanked God for yesterday? Ah, right, nice thought, nice. Got to be more grateful. It's Thanksgiving, and then, you know, I'm going to be thankful for, for every day of the week until, until Thanksgiving, and we start that on November 1st, and, and then Thanksgiving comes and goes, and then it's just like our, our, our thinking that we need to be thankful and grateful just kind of goes away, and, and we fall into the comfortable, hey, that's mine, that's mine, I, I deserve that, I'm owed that. We can't be grateful for that, for those things that we feel entitled to. So we need to ask ourselves, what should you feel entitled to? Or a better question would be this, what should you be grateful for? Now, in verse 12, Jesus goes into another parable that I'm, I'm going to tell quickly because it has a lot of overlap. Then Jesus said to the host, hey, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might return the favor. And then you've received, um, you've received your blessing. You will be repaid for that. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You are storing up treasures in heaven. The most important bank of all. So in both of these parables, in fact, in the next one too. So three, right, bang, bang, bang. Jesus um, tells a story about a, a, a party. There's this great banquet. Imagine you're throwing a great big party. What would your role be at the party? Would you be one who was walking around with a, 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 a plate of what I often refer to as horse de ouvres? Really, for the longest time, I thought that's what it was. <laughs> you, are you the one that's walking around with a tray of hors d'oeuvres? How do they even pronounce it that way? I don't get it. And, and asking people, hey, is there something I can get you? Is there, do you need your water refilled? Or, or, or are you the one who's being served. See, entitlement is focusing on what we deserve. Entitlement leads to disappointment. So what do we do about it? Number three, we change entitlement by changing our perspective. We change our perspective. So are you the host or are you the guest? Are you the one that goes and is expecting to be served? Or are you the one who is doing the serving? No, we are the servant. We are the ones walking around with that plate. The scripture makes it abundantly clear that our role in this party called life is to serve. Uh, we got to recognize 
that our role is to serve. Uh, there's three ways that we can change our perspective. The first one is this. I didn't give you fancy little dots under this point, but Roy's going to put them up on the screen for you. We need to understand that our role is to serve. Luke chapter 13, verse 30, one chapter before this one. Jesus says, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. I've invoked that at many a carrion dinner. Nope, I'm going to eat last, because you know what? Those that eat last someday are going to be first. Right? And in my mind, I'm already doing the math. Is that right? I don't think so. A pastor was in Rwanda sharing the gospel with children on the streets, and he had this bag of candy with me, and kids were mobbing him trying to get the candy. I mean, they were all gathered around him. I mean, they were pushing each other. They were actually slapping each other, trying to get to this guy who was sharing the gospel who had this bag of candy. So he, he thinks he's going to do something really good, and through his interpreter, he says, tell all of these kids that the last will be first and the first will be last. And the interpreter says that over and over and over again, and it seriously backfired. All of the kids run as far away from him as they can get. They're clamoring to be at the back. They're pushing and shoving to be at the back. And isn't that true? Isn't that how we think? This is what God's word said. So now how can I manipulate that to benefit me, to still get what I want? It's a hard place to be. It's, it's, it's challenging. We need to understand that our role is to serve not figure out the system, not figure out how, to, how we can manipulate our way. We, we, we change entitlement when we change our perspective and we understand that our role is to serve. A second way we change our perspective is to live for eternity. See, we're tempted to view this world as our playground to experience all of the joy and happiness that we can. But you see, that's an, that's an atheistic worldview. That's get as much as I can here before it's over because when it's over, it's just kind of over. Not true. And not a Christian worldview either. The Christian worldview is, look, we have a limited amount of time to live on this planet. We all have an expiration date stamped somewhere, but we can't see it. We don't know how many days we have left. So, so what if we took whatever days we have left and we try to serve as many people as we can serve? I mean, thinking incorrectly, I would want to make a competition about it. No! Who, who wins at serving? No! Don't go there, David. <laughs> there is nothing here that you will give up in the name of Jesus that you will regret. I read that last week. Think about that. There is nothing here that you will give up in the name of Jesus that you will regret. Nothing. We can invest our eternity today by doing things for people who can do nothing for us in return. That's living for eternity. Verse 14, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the, of the righteous. We got to expand our thinking. We think here carnally, materially. No, we need to live for eternity. We need to remember that we... We need to learn that we all actually deserve hell. That's what we deserve. 
in our sin, in our disobedience, what we really deserve is punishment. We sinned against a holy God, and anything good that God would give us is much more than we deserve. Our good God at an extreme cost to himself. We're celebrating it here this morning. We're remembering his sacrifice this morning. Has given us everything through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that is important. And we got a a war against that because there's a battle going on with the enemy. He doesn't want us to hear this. He wants us comfortable in our sin. He wants us busy. He wants us filling this this jar up with sand first. And then, oh, well, oh, well, the most important things, they don't make it. No big deal. That's what he wants us to think. We have to maintain an eternal perspective. That was a hard one for Jesus' disciples to grasp. I mean, they, they really struggled with the last will be first concept, right? Over uh, uh, nine times, the disciples in the Gospels, nine times they asked Jesus, which of us is the greatest? Can we, can we sit at your right hand? Can we sit at your left hand? Who gets to be first? In Mark chapter 10, verse 38, in response to one of these moments when they asked if they could sit at his right and his left in glory, they said, Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You're not going to be able to suffer the way that I will suffer. And then he blatantly and specifically shares the gospel with them. He says, here's here's the deal. Look, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to surrender myself to death. And, and he says, you know those who are, who are regarded rulers of the Gentiles and how they exercise their authority over others. They lord it over others. Um, their high officials exercise authority over them. It's not to be that way with you, Jesus said to the disciples. That's not you. No, whoever wants to become great among you must what? serve. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Wow. He gave his life as a ransom for many. That's one of those verses that we read and we're like, surely that doesn't mean what it says, what I think it says. Surely it means something else. I hope you see this theme. It's repeated in the scriptures. And and just because there's no one around you that really lives it, it's truth. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't live that way. The gospel kills entitlement. There's no room for it. The gospel is the story of the king of the universe, the creator of all things, becoming a servant and humbling himself to death on a cross for us. He made himself like a servant for us, and through him we will inherit things greater than we could ever want or hope to inherit here. Philippians 2, 6, 7, and 8 says this, 
Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, is this, is this subject not the whole in our gospel? In, in Goshen County, Wyoming, do we just believe everything else except for this part that says the last will be first and the first will be last? Be a servant. Be a servant. Do we cut this part out of our Bibles? That to really be a follower of Jesus is to use everything that God has given us to serve other people. Because that's what Jesus did. Our King, our Savior, and Messiah, the Christ, that's what he did. He served. Gratitude. The last thing that we do to change our perspective is to practice gratitude. Gratitude. In our culture today, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your economic status is. I don't care what your job is. We all need to practice gratitude. All of us. And maybe one thing that you could do is you could start by asking people who are in your circle of friends, hey, um, do you think I'm a grateful person? Now, you need to probably be ready for the answer. Right? Of course, when you, we, we only ask questions that, that we really want to hear the answer to, right? No, you should really want to hear the answer to that. Am I a grateful person? Does gratitude mark my life? Maybe you've already done this. Maybe you've already done this. You've, you've turned to the backside of your note sheet and you, you just started as the message has been going, writing down things that you can think of in your life that you're, thankful, that you're grateful for. God, thank you for thank you for a running car, or God, thank you for a great mechanic. God, thank you for, thank you that, that I get to go to the grocery store every week, and, and honestly, I, I don't have to think whether I should buy generic or name brand. I just get what I want, and, and there's enough. There's always enough money in the bank to do that. God, thank you for my kids. Thank you for my, for my parents. Maybe you could just start a list today and add to that day every every add to that list every day and pray through it. Thank God for this and for this and for this. So in summary, entitlement is focusing on what you deserve. And if you want to focus on what you deserve, focus on separation from God because that's what we deserve. <laughs> entitlement leads to disappointment, it always does. Entitled people are some of the most oppressed people you'll ever meet. And changing entitlement requires a change in perspective. Now, I realize that, and, and you people that, that got the book and you read the first three chapters, and he said, look, I, I hate to tell you, but it's going to get harder before it gets easier. There's good news coming. I mean, the good news for us today is even in the state of ungratefulness and entitlement that we live in, Jesus Christ died for us. 
He paid for that. And I want to close this morning as we begin to move towards communion with, with this illustration. Um, those, that same pastor who was on the street with the bag of candy with the kids, um, the reason they went to Rwanda was to train pastors and leaders in the government, leaders in the government, on conflict resolution. And uh, so they're teaching for four days at this conference center. It's kind of an outdoor, indoor conference thing that, that they're teaching at. And uh, immediately they could, they could see major differences between the government officials and the pastors who all came together to experience this four-day conference. Um, the government officials came in, in tailored, sh- tailored suits and, and shiny shoes and uh, elaborate flowing dresses. And the pastors would often come in barefooted, maybe holes in their clothes. Their suits were way too big. They had everything kind of cinched together with, with a belt. Um, and there were a couple individuals that stood out. One was this lady. Every day she would wear these really bright, colored, flowered dresses with a flowing train. And, and uh, she always wore some sort of headgear. Feathers and, and you know, fancy stuff out the top of it. Uh, and every day she would, she would come late, but she would always have somebody save her a seat in the front row. And uh, then, uh, and, and she would sit in that seat in the front row, blocking the view of anybody behind her because she had this really tall hat on. When it was hot, she had a couple people that would come over and fan her. I mean, she was just a diva. Maybe she was deserving of some honor. I I don't know. Um, But according to this pastor, it all seemed to go to her head. Then there was this pastor who was a servant, and he he overflowed with joy in talking talking to him. He He was kind. He served everyone. And he would always let everybody else sit down first, and then he would take the worst seat, the worst seat in the room, which was always directly behind the lady with the big hat. Because there's like this gap behind her because nobody could see. Um, He couldn't see the stage, but uh, he would listen and he would take notes intently. So on the last day, they did an exercise and they put everyone's name in a hat and they drew one name, one person's name out, completely random. Except in the kingdom of God. Right? Nothing is random in the kingdom of God. Nothing just so happens. They couldn't have, they couldn't have, have, have planned this better if they had planned it themselves. They drew out one person to win a prize, and that prize was going to be one week's wages. It was a cash prize. It was a big deal. It was valuable, and everyone was really excited. Can you guess what name they drew? The woman with the big hat, they drew her name. They gave her two envelopes. Uh, this is a teachable moment for sure. They gave her two envelopes. Everybody applauds. You know, she's just soaking it all in. Oh, yeah. You know, she bowed for winning. Not sure why she did that. Um, everybody's going crazy. She's smiling, glowing. Yes. Right? I did it. Of all people in the room, I would deserve to win the big prize. And it was actually kind of a weird moment, according to the pastor. Um, 
Then she opened the second envelope. So she opened the first one, all this money. She opened the second envelope. And, and in the second envelope were these instructions. Now please turn to the person behind you and give them the first envelope. And the pastor, of course, tried not to take it. He just lowered his head. But she had to give it him, give it to him. Now, I don't know what the reckoning in the end looks like for us, but, but I'm telling you, there are people on earth today building palaces who will one day hand them over to the servants of God. I don't know what it looks like, but ultimately in the end, God's in charge of whoever gets whatever. He's the one. He says these things. This is his word we're reading today. How is it going to change our lives? He says these things, and we have been challenged. Again, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for teaching us today. I, I, Father, I, I pray that you would help all of us to kind of think about those things that, that we have felt for a long time that we're entitled to. As you sit there and as you pray, ask God, what, what am I entitled to right now? Where, where has complaining ruled my life? Where, God, where have I felt slighted by you? Or where do I feel like you've done me wrong? Father, would, would you show us that? in your kindness and your mercy and your sovereignty, would you speak to us this morning? Would you show each of us where we've been entitled and it's just been normal for us for a really, really long time? Help us not to walk out these doors and just ignore what you're trying to do in our life. God, would you begin to change us right now? And maybe you would talk to God even now. And, and, and maybe it's just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Lord, show me where I'm entitled. Lord, show me where I'm entitled. Show me where I'm entitled. Show me where I'm entitled. May we not let this morning leave us unchanged. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to be grateful. And help us to serve others just as you served us. In Jesus' name, amen.